Thank you for joining us for church this morning at First Church. I have a guest up here with me this morning. He will be leading us in our call to worship. His name is Caleb Hoagie. Caleb will be entering the sixth grade this year at New Knoxville School. So at this moment, anyone who is able, would you please rise and follow along with Caleb as he reads from Psalm 24 for our call to worship this morning. The earth is the Lord and the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. For he founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord, who may stand in his holy place. The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false god, they will receive blessings from the Lord in vindication from God their Savior. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, God of Jacob. Be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, you gates. Lift them up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is he, the King of glory? The Lord Almighty, he is the King of glory. Thank you, Caleb. Did a wonderful job. Uh, please remain standing as we sing our opening praise songs this morning. My Jesus and see a victory.
provisions just waiting for you and all you have to do is say Jesus Jesus you are my Lord Jesus change my life let me shine your light your glory to all who see me so that you will be glorified so that you they will know how much you love them he is just waiting waiting to give you the belt of truth he is waiting to give you the gospel of peace so that you can walk through this life with peace. He's waiting to give you the helmet of salvation, the mind of Christ. He's waiting for you to put on the righteousness on your breast. He's waiting to give you that shield and the sword of the Spirit. He gives you everything to walk through this life. Choose Him. Choose Him. Because no weapon against you will prosper because He has chosen you. Since before he created this earth, since before he created this universe, he has chosen you.
time, please bow your heads with me in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for allowing us to come together this morning to worship you. It is such a blessing that we can gather together with other believers to sing praises to you, to come to you in prayer, and to open and study your word together. Lord, we give you thanks for who you are and what you have done for us. Thank you for a successful vacation Bible school this week here at First Church. We thank you for all the kids, teachers, and parents who have joined together to worship and learn about you. I pray for these kids here in New Knoxville and the surrounding communities, that the seeds that were planted in their lives would take root, that they may continue to grow in their relationship with you. We pray that you would work through them and in them, and that they may be beacons of light in this dark world, that these kids may be bold, that they may stand firm in their faith, and ultimately that they would give their lives to you. Keep our children safe from the sin of this world and use them to bring others to you. Lord, we are broken people living in a broken world, and so we humbly come before you at this time and confess that we are sinners that we have fallen short, and time and time again we've allowed sin to enter our lives. But Lord, you have defeated sin, and through your blood on the cross, all who trust in you, Lord, their sins are forgiven. At this time, I also pray for those who might be listening on the radio, who are watching online or even sitting in the pews today, who have not turned their lives over to you, Christ. I pray that they may do this today that they would not wait, that they would commit this time to putting their trust and faith and hope in you. No sin is too great to separate us from your love. And you have no requirements. All that you ask is that we simply, as humble individuals, lay our lives down and put our trust in you. Soften hearts today and allow those to make this commitment. We're also mindful for those going through difficult situations here in our community. We lift up those on the prayers and concerns list and ask that you would provide for each of their needs. Lord, you know what they're going through, and we pray for healing and comfort for each one of them. We ask that your will may be done in each situation. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would continue to move through us and bless the remainder of this service. Be with us as we open your word and open our eyes and ears to what it is you want us to hear and see this morning. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, the blood he shed on the cross for our sins. And Lord, we pray all these things through Jesus' name, praying as he taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us as we forgive our debts, and lead us not into temptation. But deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Our scripture reading this morning comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 18, verses 28 through 40. This can be found on page 1085 in your pew Bible. 
When the Jewish leaders took Jesus from Caiaphas to the palace of the Roman governor, by now it was early morning, and to avoid ceremonial uncleansing, they did not enter the palace because they wanted to be able to eat the Passover. So Pilate came out to them and asked, What charges are you bringing against this man? If he were not a criminal, they replied, we would not have handed him over to you, Pilate. Pilate then said, Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. But we have no right to execute anyone, they objected. This took place to fulfill what Jesus had said about the kind of death he was going to die. Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus, and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea, Jesus asked, or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew, Pilate replied? Your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it you have done? Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then said Pilate. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on this side of truth listens to me. What is the truth? retorted Pilate. With this, he went out again to the Jews gathered there and said, I find no basis for a charge against him. But it is your custom for me to release to you one prisoner at the time of the Passover. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? They shouted back, No, not him. Give us Barabbas. Now Barabbas had taken part in an uprising. The word of the Lord. Amen. You may be seated. Before... I pray here again. I just want to take this moment and uh, uh, kind of give you plans for the rest of the service here. As you notice, we're doing things a little bit differently this morning because uh, it is the Sunday after VBS. So at the end of our service today, we are going to invite our uh, children forward. Um, we're going to hear an update from Pastor Tori about how VBS went. And uh, Beth and Tori are going to help lead our kids in singing a couple of the VBS songs that they learned during this week. So um, so for in preparation for that, uh, we're going to go ahead and dismiss our kids this morning. They're going to help with that. Beth is going to head over to the Heritage Room. Any of our VBS kids that are here that are planning to sing with us, you guys are going to go next door into the ministry center. You're going to practice the songs, go over the motions, all that fun stuff. And then you guys will rejoin us again at the end of the service. So feel free to head out right now if you'd like to. And they're going to rejoin us here after the sermon is over. Also, there is one other thing we didn't do yet, um, and I'm sure many of you are wondering why, of course. Uh, we didn't collect the offering, which we usually do at this point in the service. We're gonna, we are going to do that after the service, so deacons, I believe you're aware of that, but just a heads up, uh, after the sermon, we are going to uh, collect the offering, and that'll be the time when the kids transition back into the sanctuary. So just a bit of housekeeping that I wanted to make you guys all aware of. So now I invite you to join with me in prayer. Father God, we are grateful for this wonderful week that we've had, all of the time spent with the, the kids this week, uh, teaching them about you from your word um, has been a blessing. And we're really grateful that we're going to have an opportunity to hear from them once again at the end of this service. 
I do pray now that as we open your word together, that your Holy Spirit would guide us, um, would, would open our hearts and minds to what you have to say to us today. And Holy Spirit, I do pray that you give me words to speak, words that are honoring and pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. So you just heard a passage read to you today that typically is one that we hear during arrest. This is Jesus standing before Pilate. Um, The chief priests, the elders, the religious leaders had already examined Jesus. They spoke to him. and, And you see from this passage the reason why they go to Pilate. Right? Pilate was the Roman governor in charge of Judea at the time. And so the Jewish leaders bring Jesus to Pilate because they want Jesus to be executed. Earlier in the gospel, their plans had already been made known. They were trying to get rid of Jesus, remove him from the scene, and their hope was that if he was gone, things would eventually go back to normal. But unfortunately, according to the, well, however you want to look at it, according to the law, they had no power to do that. It was against Roman law for them to execute anyone, even if it was according to their own religious code. Rome reserved that right for them and them alone. And so Jesus was brought before Pilate, and the hope from the religious leaders was that they would, that Pilate would sentence him to death. And in order to make that happen, the Jews accused Jesus of being a rival king. You see, they knew that that would get Rome's attention. They knew that Rome would not suffer any rival kings or even rumors of rebellion to spread through their kingdom. It was the quickest way to find yourself nailed to a Roman cross. And the Jewish people had experienced that over the the years leading up to Jesus' life. They had experienced rebellion and revolt that Rome quickly ended. And those leaders in those rebellions found themselves on a cross. You see, the Pax Romana, the Roman peace that was experienced during the time of the Roman Empire was peace that came by crushing any and all rebellion or even rumors of rebellion that came their way. And so that is what the Jewish leaders hoped. They hoped to accuse Jesus of being a king that Rome would just take care of their problem for them and they could go back to life as usual. But we know here from, in Jesus' exchange with Pilate, Jesus alludes to his kingdom being of a different sort, being of a different variety than Rome or really any other kingdom in this world. Verse 36 is the key verse for us here this morning. After Jesus, or excuse me, after Pilate asked Jesus if he is the king of the Jews, There's a bit of an exchange, and then Jesus says this in verse 36, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders, but now my kingdom is from another place. See, the big idea that Jesus is trying to communicate here is that the kingdom of God does not operate like other kingdoms. The kingdom of God is a favorite subject of Jesus' teaching throughout his ministry. Many of his parables was a, were about the kingdom. You know, the kingdom was like a mustard seed, right? The kingdom was like, the kingdom of God is like a man who sows seed in the field, right? All of these parables, or many of his parables, I should say, dealt directly with the kingdom of God. In fact, Jesus' very first recorded sermon was about the kingdom of God, right? Repent and believe the good news. The kingdom of God is at hand, right? Jesus' first message was about the kingdom of God, 
I remember my first sermon. Uh, it was not here, of course. Uh, my first sermon was my senior year of high school. A friend of mine and I had an opportunity to preach at my home church, and we preached on Joshua 1.9, be strong and courageous for the Lord your God is with you wherever you will go. Um, uh, we tag-teamed the sermon, and when I mean we tag-teamed it, we literally tag-teamed it, right? When he was done talking, we went up and high-fived each other, and I went behind the pulpit, and he went and sat back down. Um, if to ask any pastor you know, they probably remember the first sermon or the first message they gave. It, it sticks with you. And Jesus' first public message was about the kingdom of God. And here, at the end of his earthly life and ministry, he's once again speaking about his kingdom. And so today I want to talk to you about the kingdom of God, right? And, and, and God's providence, right? As I was putting together uh, the plan, the preaching schedule for this year, all the way back in 2022, uh, as we were talking about reading through the Bible in a year and picking out texts that went along with that reading plan, I selected John 18, 28 through 40 for this Sunday. That was well before we even realized what the VBS theme was even going to be, right? About the armor of God, about being keepers of the kingdom. And here we are at the end of VBS week talking about the kingdom of God. And so there is God again at work, even in the plans months and months ahead of time, bringing these ideas and themes together. And so today, again, I want to talk to you about how the kingdom of God is different than the kingdoms of this world, how it operates differently. And there's things that, that we can draw from directly from this passage, as well as other parts of scripture. So I encourage you to follow along with me. First of all, Jesus is very clear here that God's kingdom is not of this world. In other words, it does not have national borders and boundaries like our kingdoms or our countries, maybe to put it in today's language, have. And God's kingdom includes people from every tribe, nation, and tongue. Right? God's kingdom is diverse. It's not restricted to one particular place geographically or one particular people. It is worldwide, right? And it includes people from every nation. One of the most interesting things about the early church was how radically diverse it was. Men and women, rich and poor, Jews and Gentiles, slave and free, all worshiping together, worshiping the same God. You see, the gospel transcends typical boundaries that we often place around ourselves, geographical and otherwise. Every nation in that day had their own God. Some of them had multiple gods to, to cover different aspects of life. When Paul was on his missionary journey and found himself in Athens, he noticed that there were statues to all sorts of gods around Athens. There was even one statue in the inscription said to an unknown God, right? They were trying to cover all their bases to make sure they didn't offend anyone in particular. When Paul used that statue to point to the one true God, the God of the Bible is the one true God, and he does transcend national boundaries, geographical locations. He is the creator and sustainer of all things, and so he is sovereign over all nations. And people from every nation worship him. And we see from the book of Acts that churches began popping up all over the known world. Right? It wasn't just restricted to, to Jerusalem or Israel proper, but all around the Roman Empire, churches began to pop up because his kingdom does not have national borders or geographical locations. It is a spiritual and invisible kingdom. It doesn't have borders and earthly government because it is not of this world. See, God's kingdom is present anywhere 
and everywhere God's reign is experienced. In Luke chapter 17, 20 through 21, Jesus says this. I should say, it begins by a question from the Pharisees. It says, once I'm being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, the coming of the kingdom is not something that can be observed. Nor will people say, here it is or there it is, because the kingdom of God is in your midst. Right? The kingdom of God is in your midst. In other words, it is, it is not about earthly governments or borders or locations, but it is about God's rule and reign being experienced here and now, whenever, God's, whenever and wherever God's people are present. The kingdom of God is in the midst of his people. That's why in the Lord's Prayer we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God's kingdom is where his rule and reign is being experienced in a spiritual way through and with his people. And I've got to take a moment just to pause here and reflect again on the week of VBS. Um, this week, one of the things that we do is we encourage uh, the students and helpers to submit prayer requests. And we have a team of people that are dedicated to many, many things to pray for. Every day they would pray over those things and then they'd share those prayer requests with me so that I could pray for them and look over them as well. And as you would expect, or as you would assume, many of the prayer requests that the kids submitted had to do with, you know, practical things, you know, people that were sick or people that needed things. And and those sorts of things are, are great and wonderful to pray for. But there were a few that really stuck out to me, and I want to share a couple of them. There's no names or specific situations attached. But these are the things that some of our kids were praying for this week. And this is what it means to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Somebody asks for prayer so that everyone would believe in Christ and become a follower of him. Someone asks for people to realize that they are sinners and that God is important. Someone asks for prayer that the world to love and pray for one another. Someone asks for Jesus, to thank Jesus for dying on the cross. And someone asks for prayer that people, for people that struggle and think that all hope is lost. Those are prayer requests submitted by our children throughout the week this week. And that's what it means to pray for God's kingdom to come, for his will to be done. Can we pray for people who are sick and people that are hurting? Of course, that is part of what it means to pray. But those things are at the heart of what it means to pray for God's kingdom to come, for salvation, for people to experience hope and joy, for people that are struggling to see and, and for people to love and care for one another. Right? Those, to me, are profound prayer requests especially from our children. We can follow their example in so many ways. God's kingdom does not operate like the rest of the world. It's not limited to national boundaries, nor does it operate on the basis that so many of our national or worldly governments, earthly governments operate on. They don't operate on the basis of violence or power. All too often we see it in our world that politics is all about gaining and retaining power. The idea that might makes right, that whoever has the most power can, can impose their will on others. When Jesus was arrested that very night, Peter attempted to defend Jesus in the garden. Right? He takes out a sword and cuts off the ear of one of the, the guards coming to arrest Jesus. But Jesus responded, those who live by the sword will die by the sword. His kingdom operates differently than the world. It is not based on violence or power. It's an upside-down kingdom that has completely different rules. 
in the Beatitudes of Matthew chapter 5, we see a glimpse of what that looks like when Jesus says things like, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs, they will, they will inherit the kingdom of God. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who mourn, right? That's a very different way of operating than our world puts out all too often. Jesus also taught his disciples that the first shall be last and the last shall be first. That there's a different way to look at the world than just the strong and the powerful always getting what they want. But rather, the greatest among God's people, the greatest in the kingdom are those who are willing to serve and self-sacrifice for others. See how different that is than how our world normally operates? A willingness to lay down your life for someone else. And the greatest example of that, of course, is Jesus himself. The third thing we, we do see is that Jesus is the king. He is king of kings and lord of lords, and he does rule over his kingdom. Right? They do. The ironic thing about their accusation, right, that the Jewish leaders, the religious leaders of the day, accuse Jesus of being a king is in order to get rid of him because they know Rome will try to eliminate any rival kings in their kingdom. But the irony of it is that he truly is king of the Jews. They just don't, it's just not in the way that they see or expect. He is king of kings and lord of lords. But not just over a small piece of land in the Middle, of, in the Middle East. He is king of kings and lord of lords of all creation. So what does that mean for us? It means that, that as Christians, in God's kingdom, it is not any mere human leader, political or religious, that we look to. It is Jesus and him alone. Christians can and should be involved in public service at all levels, right? And there's many of you in our congregation that do serve in public office, and that's a wonderful and good thing. But we got to be careful not to conflate God's kingdom with earthly political influence. It is good to see Christians serve in public office. It is good and right for our society to try to pass laws that are in line with God's word and his morals and his character. Those are all good and wonderful things. But we need to remember that public policy does not save people. Right? Only the gospel saves. Public policy can and should influence and, and, and work towards the good of all people. But it is only the gospel that saves. Jesus' death on the cross not laws or policies that are passed. It also means that Jesus is the head of the church, not the pastor, not the elders. All those in leadership in a church, whether this church or other churches, are under shepherds to the chief shepherd who is Jesus. All Christian leaders serve under him and under his authority. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, he says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Right? Paul is saying, look, you can, you can follow me, but insofar as I am in, in turn following Jesus. So all religious authority is subject to Jesus' ultimate authority. So if you're looking at Christian leaders, whether pastors or elders in a local church or leaders around the country, right? Because with, our, with the, the connections that we have through social media and technology, right, we can listen to sermons from pastors from all over this world, right? Those are, that, that technology is a good and wonderful thing, but we need to make sure that any Christian leader that we're following is themselves following Jesus. The problem with celebrity pastors 
is that entire ministries and celebrity and, and churches are built around an individual's personality. And guess what? That person isn't Jesus, right? They are fallible sinners just like you and me. And there's been a, a variety of documentaries over the last couple of years. The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill, the Hillsong documentary, Shiny Happy People is just a new one that just came out. I haven't had a chance to see that myself. But they all, all these documentaries that have come out recently demonstrate that human leaders are fallible. The one leader that will never fail, the one leader that we can always look up to is Jesus, right? He is the solid rock on which we build our faith. Put your hope in him and in nothing else. As I was going over my notes this morning, I couldn't help but think of uh, him, the solid rock. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. Jesus is King of Kings, and He is our chief shepherd. So as Christians, we look to Him for our guidance, for our leadership. And yes, He does provide good and faithful people to lead in His churches and in communities. But we should always remember that Jesus alone is King of Kings. God's kingdom is also different than earthly kingdoms because earthly kingdoms are temporary, but God's kingdom is eternal. It will never end. Again, another song that came into my head. I think the Gaithers sing, there's just something about that name, right? Kings and kingdoms will all pass away, but there's just something about that name, right? All earthly kingdoms, all world powers come and go. Just think about world history. You have Assyria, you have Babylon, you have Persia, world powers of their day. But where are they now? At one point, it was said that the sun never set on the British Empire, right? Their territory stretched literally around the globe. But we've seen over the last couple centuries, their influence shrink and shrink. If history has taught us anything, we should expect the United States, too, will one day be relegated to the dustpan of history. But we know that God's kingdom will last forever. Earthly kingdoms are temporary. God's kingdom is eternal. And the last thing we, draw, we can draw from here, from John chapter 18, is that God's kingdom is grounded in truth. Jesus tells Pilate, um, he says, the reason he came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to Jesus, Right? Our world has an ever-changing standard of what is right and wrong. And it changes over time. And, and as we've seen in the last few years, it can change quite rapidly, can it? Our world posits that there's no such thing as absolute truth, but that all truth is subjective. All truth is based on context and, and uh, what, what seems right to a particular person or group. Many people claim today that there is no absolute truth, but that what is true for one person may or may not be true for everyone else. That it, only, that it is only what seems right and good for that person in that given moment. In fact, Pilate's question to Jesus here in verse 38 is very apt for us today. What is truth, right? What is truth? Our world says that truth is ever-changing, that there is no absolute truth. 
But that in and of, in and of itself is a statement of absolute truth. It's a contradiction. Right? Think about that for just a moment. If someone tells you that there is no absolute truth, that is a statement of absolute truth. It can't, that can't be true in and of itself. There is absolute truth. And it is found in his word. Right? The Bible reveals truth to us because it points us to Jesus who is the truth. Absolute truth does not change with time or with public opinion. And it, is found, and it doesn't change based on where you live or what society you live in. It is found in the word of God because Jesus, and it is true because Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The Lord does not lie or change his mind like human beings. His word is true and does not return to him void. So the world has a, a uh, loose relationship with truth at times. But we also must remember that our enemy, Satan, is a liar who manipulates and distorts the truth. The enemy actively works against the truth of God's word. His ta- and his tactics have not changed. There's two spots in scripture you can look at, and we don't have time to open them up today, but I encourage you to look at Genesis 3 and Matthew 4. In Genesis 3, we have the garden where the serpent comes in and tempts Eve and Adam as well to sin by eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But how does he do it? What's his tactic? He questions the truth and the authority of God's word. Did God really say what he said? And even if he did say it, can you trust him? Right? That is at the core of the enemy's tactics, the under, undermining the truth of God's word. And the same thing happens in Matthew 4. This is Jesus being tempted in the wilderness. And once again, the enemy is there whispering lies into his ear. And in one of the temptations, Satan himself even quotes scripture, but he rips it out of context. He distorts it. He manipulates it to try to prove, try to, try to get Jesus to go against God's will for his life. We have Old Testament and we have New Testament, right? And the Satan's tactics were the same in both cases. And they continue to be the same today. He gets us to doubt and question the truth of God's word. And so therefore, we need to stand firm on the truth. We need to know it and we need to apply it to our lives. And we can ask the Holy Spirit to help us to do that because not only has he given us his word, but he's given us his spirit so that we may have the mind of Christ. So that's how, in brief, that is how God's kingdom is different than the worldly kingdoms that we live in today. And in closing, there's three things I want to encourage you with. We need to live as citizens of God's kingdom. In Philippians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21, Paul says, Our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so they will be like his glorious body. See, if God's kingdom is spiritual, if God's kingdom is not of this world and it doesn't operate like the kingdoms of this world, then we need to live as citizens of his kingdom, which means we need, we need to stop living the way the world tells us to live and live for Christ. Our ultimate allegiance belongs to him and to his kingdom. And his priorities, right, don't fit, into, don't fit neatly into the, the categories and the boxes that we often think about in this world. 
And so when we need to be different, we need to be willing to put Christ first and live for him. Not only are we citizens, we are also ambassadors. In 2 Corinthians 5, verse 20, Paul calls us to be ambassadors for Christ. In other words, we're called to represent him well as we live in foreign territory. So as we live in the kingdoms of this world, we are called to represent his kingdom first and foremost. We're called to speak truth. We're called to be the light, even as we're living as foreigners and exiles. And finally, we must remember that the church is an outpost. We are an embassy for God's kingdom in this world. This is a place that people should feel safe and be a refuge for God's people, a place to go to in times of need. And yes, also a place to be empowered and equipped to go into the world and serve the Lord. It's interesting, the story from John 18 ends with the crowd choosing to free Barabbas instead of Jesus, a man who quite ironically was guilty of the very crime they accused Jesus of committing. But here's the thing we need to remember. We are all Barabbas. We are all guilty of an uprising, not against Rome, but against the true king. Sin is rebellion, and when we sin, we reject God's authority and his truth, his rule and his reign, and we take it for ourselves. And so we are guilty of divine treason. Jesus is the innocent one who didn't deserve to die, yet he willingly went to the cross for you and for me so that we can live. That's the gospel. That's the good news of his kingdom, that even though we are guilty, our true and rightful king took our place so that we can become citizens of his kingdom. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word and thank you for your truth. Thank you for your kingdom, which is different than the rest of this world. And thank you that in Christ, because he laid down his life, we do have victory in Jesus. Help us to live in light of that victory today. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. As I said before our sermon today, uh, we're going to take this time to collect our offering um, and kind of get our kids organized here up front and so I want to invite the deacons to come forward to collect their offering. It does go to support the radio ministry this week. And I invite you as a congregation, you may remain seated. We are going to sing number 473 in your blue hymnals, Victory in Jesus. Join us as we sing this morning.
morning. Well, this year, you've heard throughout the service, was an incredible year of Vacation Bible School. Uh, in my seven years of doing this year at First Church, this was truly the best year. Uh, and we had an average of like 174 kids and 74 helpers each day, and we raised quite a bit of money for Agape. Uh, but here's the deal. All of that stuff is great. The numbers are great. All of those things are good. But we would still do VBS even if we only had 10 kids and raised $2, because it is so worth it. The money and the numbers are not the focus. Jesus is. And so we got to spend an entire week teaching these kids and many more about Jesus and how to use the armor of God to stand firm on God's truth each day for a whole week. It was awesome. And you know, every year there's there are moments where you can see the spirit working and you can see God moving in VBS and this year was no different, and there were a lot of moments this year, but one of them that was my favorite was in one of the songs you'll hear. It's called Keepers of the Kingdom. You'll hear that in just a moment. Um, there's a line in there that says, this generation won't be lost. And at the beginning of the week, you know, the kids really don't know the song, so they're kind of singing. They're like, this generation won't be lost, but by the end of the week, they were screaming it. And they were yelling, this generation won't be lost. And every time that they would sing that, it was like, yes, Jesus. That is the prayer for these kids, is that they won't be lost. And, you know, we want this generation to know Jesus. And this week really showed us that God has huge plans for this next generation, that they truly will not be lost. And we have a bunch of kingdom keepers that are being raised right now. And so... It was really cool to see God moving in the midst. And we had kids come to Christ. We, had, we were giving Bibles away. We were praying over these students. It was just incredible. And so you could see the Holy Spirit just opening their hearts and their minds. And, you know, I could go on and on and on about how amazing VBS was. Um, but you really can't understand the work that the Lord does unless you come and see it for yourself. And so next year, if you'd like to help, I'm already plugging, but it's truly worth it. Um, And I promise that you will get so much out of it uh, if you do come and help because you can see the goodness of God in this place every single day for an entire week. So after all of that said and done, I do have some thank yous. Thank you, teachers. Thank you, helpers. Thank you, kids, for coming. Um, if you see a teacher, a helper, anybody who was involved in VBS, thank them. That We had an amazing group of volunteers this year. And if you baked cookies, thank you for keeping us going and energized throughout the week. Those scotcheroos really do get you through. Um, but really, we couldn't have done this week without an entire community praying for us and being there and supporting us. So thank you for everyone that supported us in any way, shape, or form. We really could not have done it without you. Now I'm going to turn it over to these kingdom keepers, and they're going to give you just a little glimpse of what went on this week.
Wonderful. You guys did awesome. Um, stay right where you are because after we close out our service, we are going to walk over and we are going to sing these songs over at the Methodist Church as well um, because this is a community VBS and we're able to partner with them. And so we're going to go and open their service in the same way that we closed ours. So I'm just going to offer a word of benediction and a closing prayer and, uh, and then we will uh, head on over there. So let's pray together. Father God, thank you for this wonderful day today. Thank you for these children and the way they were able to bless us and truly lead us in worship to close our service here this morning. Thank you for all they learned throughout the week of VBS. And I pray, just as Pastor Tori did earlier, that mentioned earlier, that they would continue to grow in you and knowledge in you, um, not just the week of VBS, but all year long. We thank you for this time of worship this morning and pray you be with all of us as we go from this place that we may live for your kingdom in this world. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen. You may go in peace. There's two kingdoms, but they're not the same. There's only one king who will never change. There's a kingdom of lies. Fear and shame and a kingdom of truth where Jesus reigns.